2: our risk assets at risk. Hi everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Michael Cow, CEO of Acanthos Capital Management. I don't know if I'm saying that right, Michael. Hey, how are you? Am I saying it right?
1: Acanthos Capital. Acanthos. Acanthos
2: okay. Acanthos. As I'm looking at it, I'm like something something's off here. But welcome. It's wonderful to see you again.
1: Yeah, it's great to be back. Happy summer.
2: Yes, exactly. The heat is sort of straining everything, including our systems, because I know a few of you had trouble getting on. Sorry about that. We we actually started a few <clears throat> minutes late so we could try to work it out. We're all feeling tired. And the market was feeling tired earlier, Michael. You even tweeted about it. But then all of a sudden, in the last few minutes, we saw US equities close in the green. We had a little surge here at the end. And it's certainly been a winning month for US equities. S&P, Dow up around 3%. NASDAQ up over 3.5%, maybe even closer to 4 what do you make of this equity market that we're looking at?
1: Yeah, I mean, got the ebullience is pretty astounding uh this late in the game, but yet if if you look at uh, past analogs, you know, whether it's the 1997 uh period, um 2000-2007, you bu- in, in all three of those cases you had this uh this big, you know, sort of pivot hopium rally if you will that Happened, you know, um, essentially before the top uh, was put in. So I, I'm not going to say that uh, you know this time is exactly going to be that time, but it's I'm hard pressed to see a situation where the Fed uh, doesn't break something. To me, the U.S. consumer is the strongest consumer in the world. And I, I wrote a piece last week as part of this. Uh, uh, commercial real estate panel that I participated in where I, where I talk, gave a little macro presentation and I and I called the fed the, the Ivan Drago fed if going back to Rocky IV where you know he goes to Rocky I must break you so <laughs> I-
2: <laughs> we remember he was he was he was uh, one of the scarier characters it's funny to watch it now right because i feel like there's so many scary characters but at the time i was one tough dude right
1: <laughs> yeah right
2: so, so you're so so. It sounds like there are warning signs blinking for you. I want to get into why and exactly how you see that that the, the sort of macro side playing out. But it's interesting because I and I think I've, I've been hearing this a little bit for people. You know, the market's gone further than they thought. Everyone was looking for a turn. People were worried. It felt toppy. They were worried about valuations, a whole host of things. And yet, we've been sort of post the last Fed meeting. Uh, having the Fed sound like maybe they're getting more comfortable with what's going on, not in terms of equities, but certainly on the inflation front. Over the weekend, Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari said the U.S. economy continues to surprise with resilience. um, But a lot of Fed governors have also said they're encouraged about the direction of inflation. And Andreas just dropped his latest steno signals on our platform and sort of pointed out that the Fed seems to be growing more confident that they can engineer a soft landing. Let's have a listen to that.
0: Jay Powell um, is now much more confident that the Federal Reserve can actually orchestrate a soft landing. He was asked at the presser yesterday whether it is still the base case of the federal reserve that they need to create a recession to bring inflation back to target uh, and the answer is no to that question now uh, i think they said in january 22 that uh, inf- a recession was needed to bring inflation down to target uh, they've kept on forecasting a recession over the past couple of meetings But it is no longer the base case of the Federal Reserve that a recession is needed to bring inflation back to target. And I think that is a consequence of growing confidence within the Federal Reserve um, of this soft landing scenario. And it also means that should we get positive vibes from the economy... Uh, which I find quite likely over the next month or two, then the Federal Reserve will not necessarily act with interest rate hikes to try and kill that momentum in the economy because they're much more confident today that they can bring inflation back to target without actually having to kill the labor market completely to get there. Uh, And I think this is an interesting backdrop from a macro perspective um, relative to uh, cyclical assets out there because what happens if both the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank Causes interest rate hikes at the same time from here. Uh, I think that is a likely scenario, even though there is a risk that the Federal Reserve will hike once more uh, from here.
2: And that full installment of Steno Signals Rebound or Recession is on our website. And also for plus members, Raul and Ash just wrapped an Ask Me Anything session related to the business cycle phenomenal questions were so good too for those of you who are able to also make it if you weren't able to because you're working or tied up i encourage you to go check it out really really good stuff um to access both of those programs if you are not already a member just scan the qr code and join our community so michael um interesting that the fed andreas is um you know um Sort of description of the Fed, and if you go through the comments and even the statement and some of the things they said and the press conference, um, it, it does seem that way. And yet, the Fed has a terrible track record of actually hitting a soft landing.
1: Yeah, very bad. It it, it actually worries me when they when they say that they're more confident um, because I think well, in the piece that I wrote, I basically said that you know. And by the way, so so to put it into context, I was the 10th panelist uh, in a in a panel of mainly commercial real estate operators. And the big takeaway that I got from all of my real estate panelists was how well the the market has been holding up from a rents perspective. Mm. It all comes down to the strength of the U.S. consumer. And I think the U.S. consumer um, is completely dependent, obviously, on the employment picture. So my own view is that you know, risk assets seem to be uh, drawing uh, their ebullience from two factors. And I think the two factors might be ex- mutually exclusive. One is the hopes for an imminent Fed pivot. The second is a hope for this immaculate disinflation, this Goldilocks scenario that we're seeing. But my, I have a, I have a hypothesis on why we think that why things look Goldilocks. Uh, and as my friend Shrub. Uh, likes to call it. he calls it gothy locks, but my um so my my interpretation of this is that the Fed is trying to engineer short-term monetary headwinds to counteract a structural tailwind to inflation. The structural tailwind comes from the fact that at the same time, if you think about core PC and the stick the stickiest components of 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 uh, the core, it's it's labor and shelter. Well, if you look at a demographic pyramid, I find it interesting that the cohort of age 30 to 39 is at a bulge right now. And that's like primary household formation, uh, home buying uh, cohort, which has kept shelter inflation high, kept demand uh, for housing high. You're seeing it manifest itself in you see what's happening with the home builder stocks. You see it happening, and you're, you're even seeing uh, prices start to rise again in certain parts of the country, despite a doubling of mortgage rates. Um, and then the other uh, part, the labor component, uh, I, I also find it interesting that while we've got that bulge in the 30 to 39 year, year old bracket, there's a corresponding trough in the call it 45 to 59 year old bracket, which I call the sort of highest tenured. You know, part of the working population. So I think, I suspect that there are some structural um, tailwinds to this inflation, and the Fed is is really trying to counteract that. And I guess, and what I said is, that, look, the good news for Goldilocks is that the U.S. consumer is the strongest in the world. But the bad news—that's also the bad news—because I think that the rest, the problem is that the rest of the world, uh, consumers in other. Uh, parts of the world just can't keep up, and so when you talk about when you talk about you know the Fed um, getting more confident uh, in its inflation fight, I last last week was a very very busy week because not only did we have the Fed, we had the ECB, we had the BOJ, and I pointed out that you know Lagarde's commentary. When asked, you know, do we have more ground to cover? She said pretty emphatically, at this point, I wouldn't say so. Now, I think you compare and contrast that to Jay Powell's message uh, that, you know, basically every meeting is live, essentially, right? We, we just, it's going to be data dependent. And they're getting more confident that we're going to have a soft landing. Mm. And then the last thing I'll just point out is that the BOJ, uh, in its much touted tweak to yield curve control, Lasted all of two days before they're in the market buying JGBs again.
2: Mm. So
1: and and so I think maybe the BOJ might have boxed itself into a corner because it, certainly the the yen is saying that. All of this is just to say that if the U.S. consumers are strongest in the world and are and are fed, I, I think the question isn't anymore whether the Fed is going to out hawk everybody. I think the question, the narrative, is going to become. Who's going to start out dubbing the Fed? And I think obviously China has a huge problem, uh, economic problem. I wrote, I wrote, I've written extensively about why I think the yuan um, is at risk of devaluation. I think Japan is struggling for what, what I just said. And I think the ECB is about to fold next. So, so that happens, right? Um, despite, despite the headline that you put, uh, put in our uh, spaces about the US dollar wrecking ball getting wrecked. I think I think yes, it got it got wrecked last month on this much cooler than anticipated CPI, which uh, you know obviously led this knee jerk weakening in the dollar and and you know sp- spurred risk assets to ever higher heights. But I'm wondering whether or not we're getting closer to the turn. We'll see.
2: Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, so At I think on there's, the dollar. Yeah. there's a few important things in there. So let's let's back up a minute. First of all, in terms of the U.S. consumer, so what do you think is propping up the U.S. consumer? Because a lot of people, I mean, there, it's it's always hard. I think it's always hard to gauge this, and everyone tends to undershoot. Sometimes the U.S. consumer somehow we keep spending even if it's on debt. But what do you think is underpinning us? right now? What do you think's underpinning spending? Because it was kind of YOLO. Everybody's getting those trips that they, all that spending they held back from COVID and then it was supposed to dissipate and it it really hasn't. What do you think's going on?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I do think though it's a tale of, it's a bit of a, uh, what do you call it? A K-shaped recovery. Mm. Um, So you're definitely seeing um, the uh, revenge travel continue at the high end but at the same time i think that you're hearing anecdotes of you know uh you know joe joe smith on the street ha- having a hard time making ends meet and i'm seeing various uh, th- i've seen a lot of charts about uh, of like i guess excess covid savings drying up by the second mm. uh, part of the year but but the most important thing i think is the labor market is a strong labor's mar- labor market right because right. look the unemployment rate is still three point six percent. and when you when you think about, and I also put this in my thread. I said when you think about what the Fed has implicitly guided to in terms of a target, uh, uh, like four point six percent um to to really take core inflation back down to two percent, the delta between there and here is about one point five million jobs. and the labor market is super, super strong. So, we'll see whether or not that holds up. I suspect that we're going to start seeing the cracks show in the second half. That drives a lot of my macro views. It drives why I continue to re- remain wary and bearish uh, about oil, notwithstanding the recent rip um, uh, into into the second half. Um, equities are harder to call just because, you know, people, people were, you know, buying equities all the way up in through summer of two thousand eight, right? Um, so, so it's hard to see that the earnings, uh, the, the earnings that we've seen so far have been, you know, it, I mean, it's mixed, but like at least the mega cap uh, earnings have generally been fairly strong still. So. Um, Yeah, it's a very, very confusing macro environment to to say the least.
2: Yeah, it is. And you can, you know, people have been following for a long time, like yourself. You 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 can see that just navigating the cross currents. So the labor market's tight. Do you think that the Fed, when you say they're gonna break something, do you think that they will keep hiking interest rates until they start to see the labor market weaken? We we they were very focused on that. They seem to have backed off. Thinking that they can get a handle on this without killing the economy, but you think they're going to have to do that? Are we mispriced think, in terms of Fed expectations?
1: You know, I don't think I, I, you know, I don't have any super contrarian views on on what the Fed is going to do at this point. I think that I think a lot of people thought that the last hike was the last hike, and I still think that. You know the the dot plots are basically telling you where they they intend to be. I still expect probably one more hike between now and the end of the year, Um, but to me that's not the that's not the the big deal. The big deal is how long this H four L higher for longer uh, uh, period is going to is going to remain. And what I think is interesting is you know when you consider the shape of the yield when you consider the yield curve and the type of omniscience that many pundits ascribe to the yield curve um it's been completely completely wrong for mm-hmm. the last year especially in terms of the the uh rate of implied cuts so but yet risk assets don't seem to care right i i think they won't care until they do and when they do it's you know it risk happens very very fast uh, there was a chart that i put out um uh, last week where i i basically looked at a chart of the s&p 500 versus essentially 3 month libor or 3 month you know sort of fed funds essentially um, starting from i think 1983 and i basically looked at okay the magnitude of rate hikes and then the magnitude of the of the correction that then happened well what what was very interesting is that in 1987 um, the correction happened pretty quickly after the the rate hike cycle, uh, you know, happened, and it was a very fast and sharp correction, as we all know, right? But then, when you compare and contrast that to, say, 1995 in the mid 90s, the Fed also embarked on a rate hike, and then it literally took almost three years before um, things metastasized into. Mm. Uh, the Asian contagion of 1998 that caused the Russian default and you know LTCM collapse, et cetera, Right? Um, so, you know, it's yeah. what I what I tweeted out with that chart was I said, "Look, you remember the the famous quote that Chuck Prince is known for in 2007? I think he said that. Look, when the music, uh, as long as the music keeps playing, we're gonna we're gonna keep dancing or something something to that effect." Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Chuck. Currency vibes I hear out in the market uh, today, uh, whether it's uh, in AI stocks or crypto or just stocks in general. But um, I think that it would be I don't and I don't know when the music stops, but when it does, I think I think it's a little bit fallacious for people to think that they're going to be let off this train in a graceful manner.
2: <laughs> it never it it never ends that way. What so, um, do you 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 brought up a really interesting point when you said, "You know, it took three years and then you had the Asian financial crisis. Do you think the 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 catalyst for something for this turn, right? When the music stops?
1: And by, by the way, by the way, it we, it's not like we didn't get a hint in that in that cycle. We got mm-hmm. the first hint in the summer of ninety seven when all of the Asian currencies devalued.
2: Right, and then
1: and then we thought, okay, everything is fine, and then it took another eighteen months before, you know, the the butterfly flapping its wings eventually metastasized into something really really bad, and yeah. so sorry, I cut you, I cut you off. No, no,
2: but but, I, but this yeah. is exactly my point. So and and who knows? Mm-hmm. We saw with uh, Silicon Valley Bank how quickly things move now. Maybe it doesn't take eighteen months, but. I think people were looking at regional banking here and commercial real estate, looking for the the catalyst internally in the U.S. on that rate default initially, you know, with, with the the amount of hiking the feds done. Are we, should we be looking abroad? Should we yes, be looking well, at something well, international as the catalyst that maybe people don't see coming in time? Pre-
1: precisely, precisely. So, so in March, I wrote a piece called um, "Ball in a China Shop," referring to, of course, the U.S. dollar wrecking ball, right? And that I wrote that at the height of the financial crisis, and I said that this financial, sorry, this regional banking crisis is going to wind up become being uh, a sort of a provincial worry because I think the real deflationary catalyst for the world is China imploding. So let me explain. So in this last. Piece that I wrote last week, I said there's I I think there's two things that the Fed, the Ivan Drago Fed, could break. One is our own labor market, right? We'll see whether or not they're successful. But the second thing is the rest of the world's economies, particularly China's economy, because when you think about compare and contrast the U.S. COVID response to China's COVID response, we flooded the system with liquidity with monetary liquidity and fiscal liquidity right we went we we went we took extraordinary measures to cushion the consumer right china if you think about it they locked down for an additional what 12 to 18 months and they did not support their consumer and not only that they actually uh, but by trying to peel uh, peel back the property uh, speculation mm-hmm. with policies like three red lines, it was a little bit too successful. So I, I hearken back to an interesting uh, interview that uh, Richard Ku did on Odd Lots, where he said that the Japanese property bubble peaked and popped in 1990, but it took 19 years before their demographic uh, their demographics peaked. Now, you look at China. China's property bubble and its demographics peaked at the same time about two years ago. Mm. So when I when I talk about how we ha- we are in this almost fake Goldilocks environment, because we are seeing the effects of this longer term uh, inflationary tailwind being counteracted by the Fed's short term headwinds. In China's case, and, and by the way, that phenomenon uh, in in the world of physics and in engineering is called destructive interference, right? Just like the way your noise noise canceling he- uh, headphones work, right? It, when you have like one sinusoidal cycle counteracted by an exactly opposite or mirror image cycle, the the effects tend to cancel out. And in our case, that looks like Goldilocks. In China's case, though. You have constructive interference where you've got sh- a short-term cyclical uh, down cycle uh, created by the property bubble bursting, but it looks like it's coinciding with its long-term uh, demographic down cycle. So when you have two waves, then kind of you know superimposed upon one another, I think you have the makings of potentially a major major collapse. Um, Which is that's that is uh, the 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 big um, I guess elephant in the room that I'm watching.
2: We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Always come back to this question when we're talking about China. You know they're centrally controlled. They control every lever of their economy, and they've seen the West go through. The financial crisis and pull tools out of and make up tools that central banks can use wouldn't they have the ability to buffer that kind of implosion by doing whatever extraordinary means they needed to?
1: well, yeah I mean you know Brad Setzer put out an interesting piece a couple of weeks ago where he claimed that you know he thinks that China has an additional three trillion in quote shadow reserves over and above what the mm. What 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 they uh, publicly disclose, but to me um, it's a little bit of a moot point because what does China want to do? In the last several uh, weeks, you have seen the PBOC um, intervene to stymie the weakening in the in the yuan. Right, the yuan got out to seven twenty seven in this recent. Uh, uh, about a weakening, and then now it's around like 7.15 or so, but that's with heavy repeated PBOC um, intervention. And so to your point, yes, they're, they're, they are intervening, but I think it's coming from a position of weakness. They, they want to do that only to prevent a disorderly devaluation. But if you think about what China really needs, they need a weaker yuan. They have no their consumer is eviscerated, not that they even had a consumer-driven economy in the first place. Their centrally-driven investment-led growth targets just aren't going to happen. There are only so many bridges to know where you can can continue to build. Youth unemployment is over 21%. And so what are they going to do? The only thing that they can do, in my opinion, is to continue to try to uh, uh, export their way out. But When I say that the US dollar wrecking ball isn't dead, I mean it, because if you look at, forget about DXY for just a second, because DXY is, as you know, 60% weighted towards the euro and about 20% the British pound. So it's heavily um, anchored by those two currencies specifically. I happen to think the euro is is about to weaken. but. If you if you forget about that for a second and you look at the dollar relative to a lot of Asian currencies, especially the yuan mm. and the yen, um, it has very much been a wrecking ball. It's just it's just hiding in plain sight, primarily because the euro has been so strong.
2: That's a, that's a but, really really good point, Michael. And we should have said, "What's the U.S. dollar wrecking ball going to rack?" Not is it racked? Because I think that that's it. A... So let's go through a little bit though. So, do you see? So it sounds like you do think risk assets are at risk. I mean, yes, this can go on irrationally, maybe, but, at, but you feel like there is risk lurking in the global economy that would send risk assets down sharply at some point.
1: The risk, I mean, to me, the risk reward of owning um, uh, public equities right now, especially when you're talking about the, the mega caps, is horrible think I think it's just absolutely horrible. Um, you know so so you know my my own um, personal balance sheet is i mean if you think about it, even though i have no i have zero exposure to passive equity, I have a couple of special situations, but i'm also i also you know have a lot of uh, i have I have puts, I have currency hedges um, but you know i'm I'm also way overexposed on long risk through real estate holdings um, mm. and other uh, different types of uh, hedge funds that I'm invested in. so I'm I'm very concerned um, you know oil one of the reasons why I worry about oil is that I have a I have a large uh, oil private equity exposure um, long term I've I've uh, I'm a, a long-term bull on oil but in the short term again, Notwithstanding this recent rally, which I think has primarily been off of seasonals and uh, dollar weakness, I don't think that um, there. I, I don't think that there is a um, global resurgence of fundamental commodity demand at this stage in the cycle. If anything, I think that that fundamental picture gets uglier as the year goes on
2: because there is going to be some sort of weakness or recession. What about inflation? Do you think inflation continues to head lower, or do you see a resurgence of inflation that makes it difficult for the Fed? At some point, people are still pricing in Fed rate cuts. Does that sound yeah, like a, for sure, a mistake? For
1: sure. I, I mean, I still think when when I I, I don't know what the exact, uh, I, I think what the market is pricing in, like four or five cuts in I think, um, is it over the course of 24?
2: I think so. I they mean, pushed it out a little bit, but they're still yeah. in there. Yeah. But
1: again, my, my point is that like when you, when you look at the yield curve starting in July of last year to July of this year, it, that, that plateau to, to the, out to the one year point, it just keeps getting extended and extended and extended. And at some point, um, you would think that risk assets will care. Um, and, uh by by the time risk assets care is when that's you're you're much closer to the real Fed pivot, I think. But the Fed the Fed uh, has it, there, there really is no reason for the Fed to uh, embark on an aggressive easing campaign. I mean, look at the look at the equity markets. Look at the housing markets. Uh, look at even um, even commercial real estate. I mean, the you know the data points that I that I heard from these uh, you know big managers of big operators and developers of assets uh, and in many cases public REITs I was very very surprised at how generally sanguine people were at this at this stage of the game. Um, but to an- sorry I didn't answer your question though with respect to inflation here's what I think. Um, I do think that inflate ultimately the, the Fed is going to win this game. I I do. I think that the Fed is going to break the back of inflation, come hell or high water. The question is how long is it going to take? Because of these um, these uh, stru- what I think are potentially structural tailwinds, I think the core is going to prove stickier than most people think. Um, and that's also the reason why over the last several months, I've said I've opined with respect to the OPEC cuts. OPEC has cut three times. And I basically said, "Look, um, I think I call it premature emasculation. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, I think I think it's OPEC plus um, making the mistake of uh, trying to gin the market up before the Fed is done with its work. Mm. and so so when if you think about how this entire inflation conflagration started in the first place back in, 2021, it started with oil. You and I, one of our first conversations that you and I talked about was how oil would lead, right, to the Mm -hmm. US dollar wrecking ball, right? Mm -hmm. And oil did, oil, because in those early days of our inflation uh, picture, all inflation, all of it was energy inflation. But that then leapt into the stickier core components that have these. Put these these structural tailwinds behind them. And all it needed was essentially oil uh, to kind of ignite the flame. Now now that it's ignited, um, I think those are going to, unless you have a period of prolonged low oil prices, um, I think those core, the embers in the core are going to continue to burn hot. And you know we and 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 by the way, obviously oil prices have not stayed quiet. They've they've been shooting up like everything else, right? So. Yeah.
2: So that's going to be problematic. A um, couple comments coming through. Christopher saying, look at British retail sales imploding when we're talking about the difference between the, the strength of the US consumer and everywhere else in the world. And Jordan, so we have a, a, a jobs report this coming Friday, big monthly payroll number. And it's been really interesting to to watch that and try to figure it out. And I think the labor market's been puzzling. It's another part of this macro picture that's been complicated. And Jordan put in the chat, and I think Jordan, you're in the AMA chat as well. I could be mistaken about that, but um, saying some of my friends in construction are firing employees and then rehiring them as contract work. This can't be isolated and may be contributing Mm -hmm. to the uptick in the birth death ratio the data is crap i think a lot of the indicators are suspect thank you for that real world info it's always great when when you all filter that in but i think it is complicating it right how many are gig what does that mean is it showing up in the data you know what is everyone doing do they have multiple jobs do they feel like they're doing well or are they getting killed because in the us we have to pay for our own health care and for the most but part I, our own retirement it's very I, complicated
1: it is very complicated and and i but i but i think that this is where it's it's very very important to not get too myopic and just focus on the us because the us mm-hmm. consumer still has a head of steam because they generally still have jobs but when you look at the macroeconomic data coming out of germany and italy oh
2: and yeah Spain, germany yeah
1: germany like the wheel, that, literally the wheels are coming off over there yeah and so so, so, what happens? how How does u s. monetary policy become a transmission mechanism for global? Well, it's through the u s. dollar wrecking ball. That's how. yeah, so so to me, to me, what I am looking for or I'm looking at uh, signs of the u s. dollar, sorry, the u s. labor market weakening. I'm looking for signs of uh, China potentially really cracking. And then, and then um, seeing how the, U, the, the ECB, the BOE, and the BOJ respond the next couple of months. I still think, I still think that the narrative is going to change from who's not who's going to out-hawk the Fed, which I think is no one, uh, but who's going to start out-dubbing the Fed, which I think is everyone.
2: And then the knock on to that is how strong does the dollar get and what kind of damage does that inflict.
1: Well, yeah, I mean look, I mean look, th- think about the the policy conundrums. As much as our Fed is stuck between a rock and a hard place, look at the PBOC, look at the HKMA, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, right? They're in an effort to defend their 40-year uh, anachronistic hard peg to the dollar, they've jacked high up to 5 and 3 quarters, okay, to make the to make the bet that I have on negative carry for the first time in, in months, right? However, what does that do? Like, there, there was a Bloomberg article that basically talked about how 97% of Hong Kong mortgages are actually floating. Oof. So, so, even as the PBOC is trying to stymie the damage in its property sector, the HKMA, by dint of its hard dollar peg, has high bore at five and three quarters. So so that you talk about a rock and a hard place. That so yeah. so like our, our Fed uh is doesn't nearly have isn't mm-hmm. facing anywhere close to the policy dilemmas that the rest of the world central banks are facing. And that's why so going back to where we started full circle where the Fed is getting more and more confident that they can achieve a soft landing that should give you Concern that should give the rest of the world concern, right? Because I, I don't think anybody is going to outhawk the Fed, I think everybody's going to wind up outdubbing the Fed.
2: Yeah, <clears throat> and there are consequences to that. Um, we're going a couple <clears throat> minutes longer because we came on late, and um. Everyone's having video problems, even when we were on. So we're we're giving everybody a, a little extra time here. And it's always it's always hard to find an out with you, Michael, because you bring up so many good points. Wanna wanna scoop up a couple of things people have been commenting on though. Um, when you were talking about China and you're clearly very concerned about the prospects for China, somebody asked, sorry, I, I can't go remember if who it was right now, but um have they seen, has he seen KWEB chart? Crane shares. China internet ETF up 15 almost 16% in the past month. Cause for worry for you, as opposed
1: to I mean, I think I think it's yeah, you know, I haven't paid attention to that. Um I think that you know I'm I'm more concerned about what happens in the real economy and the the uh the, the China. China's, the CCP's Politburo has made all these statements about the stimulus that they're going to do, mm-hmm. but they really haven't done anything uh, substantial yet.
2: Yeah. Um, and it's very scalpful, right, right? Very targeted, very, you know, it's not oh, across the board. No bazooka, it, I think it, was the headline for that.
1: It's, uh, yeah, it's very, it's very, very interesting. So, you know, I don't, I think, I really think that they, they ultimately need a weaker yuan, but they're just afraid of it uh, going into a slippery slope and getting out of control. So right. they have to- it is hard. It's, it's
2: hard when you're trying to do something. I mean, we're seeing Japan struggle. When, when you're trying to do something gradually and the market senses, basically smells it, that they go for it. Um, another. So that was Oliver who asked that or made that comment, by the way. Thank you, Oliver. Uh, did we talk about your forecast for the long bond? So what do you see happening with US treasuries? I mean, do you think we've peaked here? Do you think they go higher? Are bonds looking? I mean, if risk assets look risky, what about bonds?
1: i'm I'm really torn. I don't have a strong view there, to be honest. I mean, you know, I, I think that the on the one hand, on the one hand said, so "Look, last year, right, I made this prescriptive call that the Fed should really try to think out of the box and maybe do engineer a bear steepener." Right? Obviously, that didn't happen. We've had we've had the opposite, right? We've had you know the a record level of yield uh, curve inversion, but the rest of what the the results of that I I kind of predicted, which are that when you have a when you have record yield curve inversion and the Fed resorts to its only po- uh, to policy tool, which is Fed funds, you create two problems. You create a situation where net interest margins for banks get eviscerated and you also have you, you create a problem with all the floating rate debt out there right mm-hmm. um, and so you've got you've, and so that that you, we kind of saw that metastasize into this regional banking crisis um, I don't know what it means now I don't I'm not sure if the long bond is priced appropriately um, but it's impossible to say I mean the, the yield curve itself, uh, uh, has been so grossly wrong, so I'm not going to be hubristic and say that I know what the right yield is for like a 20 or 30 year uh, long bond right now. I just don't.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it's it. it I, and I think that in and of itself just speaks to what a difficult environment we're in. And time frame, time frame matters, right? There's the short term that some people have to pay attention to. And then there's the longer term. And if you are have a longer time horizon, then your calculations on this are going to be very different. Michael, fantastic stuff. We barely scratched the surface. If you don't <laughs> already subscribe, Michael's Cowboy Musings on Substack is amazing. So much good info in there. Um, and I know that you're always watching geopolitics too. So next time you come on, we'll have to talk a little bit about that too, because that's a huge Absolutely. area for you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
2: Great stuff. Michael, thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure. Thanks to all of you for being patient with our tech difficulties. The beginning, we always make it up. I hope the extra time helped on that. So we got our full half hour in. we will see you again, same time. And if you want to deep dive into some of this as well, go check out the AMA with Raoul and Ash, which is on the platform right now. Thanks everybody. As always, take care and good luck out there.